0: Well, good morning, Mill City Church. How are we doing today? Uh, if, you're, if you're new and we haven't had the chance to meet, Mercy said, my name Grant. That is true. I'm the student pastor on the team here. And uh, it's so great to be together this morning. I'd also love to welcome those of you that are viewing by live stream. Uh, We would love to get the chance to meet you in person and hope you are in this room someday soon. Uh, We also are on the final Sunday of Advent, which is why we have candles ablaze over here. And there are four Uh, Sundays in Advent, this is the final one, where we um, wait for the lighting of that Christ candle, which will happen on Christmas Eve. Uh, I hope you have been able to engage the Advent reading. Uh, There is a uh, a little card that'll be around a seat near you. that will have a QR code, and that's a link to our uh, the Advent reading that we're engaging as a house together. If you haven't done it yet, it's not too late to start, all right? You can uh, pick that up this week and uh, jump in with the rest of the house as we engage this theme of Advent. Speaking of, uh, we're in the last part of a series called Great Expectations, where we have been looking at the theme of waiting which we've seen over the last couple weeks is a theme woven into the story of the Jewish people, and therefore, it's a part of the story of every modern Christian. It seems safe to say that um, waiting is a part of the human experience, whether we like it or not, isn't it? What makes waiting difficult is this. The world in which we live is motivated to remove waiting from our lived experience. So we want things easier and faster and more efficient. Think about the ways that we intentionally try to reduce our waiting time. We've got express checkout lines. We have toll lanes with express lanes. We have faster and faster vehicles going zero to 60 like in a blink of an eye. We've had 3G service on our phones, and then LTE, and then 4G LTE, and then 5G, all designed to be faster and faster. Do you remember when Amazon came out in 2005 and they included with the Prime, I don't know when Amazon came out, but when Prime membership came out in 2005 and they offered free two-day shipping, everybody was like, this is amazing. And then they did one-day shipping and then they have overnight. Now it shows delivery between like 4 a.m. and a.m. Who's delivering packages at that time? Uh, Now you can get your food from Whole Foods and have it shipped to your house in two hours if you order from Amazon. And if you select the ludicrous delivery service option at checkout, your Amazon order will actually be delivered to your door before you hit submit. (laughs) Big tech is taking over the world, my friends. It's ridiculous how far we go to remove waiting from our daily lives. And I'm not complaining. (laughs) I love a good... Amazon Prime shipping just as much as the next guy. But I've also been formed by this. Haven't we all been formed by the world that we inhabit? Which is precisely why the season of Advent can be so incredibly disruptive. It is in direct opposition to a very normal aspect of our culture today. Advent invites us, on the flip side, to quietness to wait waiting is actually an important part of our formation as jesus followers y'all we can't miss the gold called waiting that is buried in this mountain of spiritual formation or we risk living as spiritual paupers So this morning, I want to take some time and talk about the manner in which waiting increases our capacity, the capacity of our souls, allowing us to experience more of God's goodness. Are you with me? Okay, let me introduce you, those of you that are relatively new. At Mill City, students, um, when the speaker is trying to figure out, put the fingers on the pulse of the room, are you tracking with me? I will maybe ask you, are you tracking? Oh, this is warming my heart right now. This is our sign for I'm with you, bro. I'm tracking with you. All right, so if you're, are you tracking with me, Mill City? Okay, we are not worshiping the devil. These are not devil horns. These are simply (laughs) rock on, I'm with you, dude. Are you with me? All right, let's rock and roll. So uh, we are going to read the words. That's a little disruptive to say, I know. Back to what I just said. My mom may be listening to this right now, and I do that for you, mom, just to make everybody know that we're clear on what this means. We're going to read a lengthy quote from Augustine or Augustine. I may refer to him both ways over the course of this talk. It's the same person. You say Augustine, I say Augustine, or vice versa. And you're going to have to wait to get to the punchline to the end. It's fitting, all right? So follow along from the good man, St. Augustine. The entire life of a good Christian is, in fact, an exercise of holy desire. You do not yet see what you long for. But the very act of desiring prepares you so that when he comes, you may see and be utterly satisfied. Suppose you're going to fill some holder or container and you know you will be given a large amount. Then you set about stretching your sack or wineskin or whatever it is. Why? Because you know the quantity you will have to put in it and your eyes tell you there's not enough room. By stretching it, therefore, you increase the capacity of the sack. And this is how God deals with us, get this, simply by making us wait, He increases our desire, which in turn enlarges the capacity of our soul, making it able to receive what is to be given to us. So, my brethren, let us continue to desire, for we shall be filled. Waiting increases the capacity of our soul allowing us to experience more of God's goodness. Now, when we have a culture that values speed and efficiency and minimization of pain and suffering, you can see where the value of waiting will be as welcomed as a dip in a cold pool on a 25-degree winter day. Ain't nobody want to do that. The two are actually in opposition. And because we're influenced by this cultural narrative, it's helpful to name that and also consider an alternative perspective from the biblical narrative. So Augustine would actually agree with the cultural narrative in that it is a good thing to long for a worthy desire to be fulfilled. He would agree with that. These may be areas like Waiting for relief from a physical ailment, waiting for your desired job, waiting for a promotion, waiting for resolution of conflict with a close friend or family member, waiting for a spouse, or waiting for a spouse to make gains in his or her emotional maturity, waiting for the conception of a child or the return of a wayward child. Perhaps you're waiting for the end of life for yourself or for someone else. Augustine would agree with the desire for fulfilled longings, but he then would disagree with the haste made to realize fulfillment of the desire. Not only would Augustine ascribe dignity and worth to the process of waiting, but he would also offer that God is indeed at work in the waiting. So we hear echoes of Augustine's writing from antiquity in a modern Swiss-American psychiatrist, the late Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She was an expert in grief. She's actually the, the brilliant mind that brought to us the five stages of grief theory. Listen to what she says and hear the echoes of Augustine. In her words, the most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known struggle, suffering, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. Beautiful people who endured, defeat, suffering, struggle are many. There's a lot of people on that list. But sadly, there's not as many people on that list as there is the list of people who endured, who experienced suffering, loss, whatever, and they decided to check out, to quit, to parachute out of the problem. Think about the beautiful people on this list, the people that struggled and waited, people like Vincent van Gogh only sold one painting in his life. Oprah, she gave birth to a child at 14 years old, and then the child died. Abraham Lincoln's failures are well-documented. Frederick Douglass, born into slavery, violence, and separation from his parents. Moses killed a man, fled to the wilderness. He was called to public speaking, and he had a speech problem. Queen Esther, living as an orphan, She was removed from her home, and she faced execution. King David. The list goes on and on and on. And I read this, and it all makes sense to me. And I don't like it one bit. (laughs) Wouldn't we all like to become beautiful people on this list by the snap of a finger or the waving of a wand or the recitation of a simple prayer? I actually feel more akin to Miss Veruca Salt from one of the world's most disturbing horror movies of all time, (laughs) Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, where she says, I want it now, daddy. That's how I feel about becoming a beautiful person. Like, just give it to me now. I'll take it now. Right? Is this not the human condition, everybody? This is what pastor and author John Ortberg says. Biblically, waiting is not something is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> Back to Augustine, there are some additional things going on when we wait. He says, simply by waiting excuse me, simply by making us wait, he increases our desire, which in turn enlarges the capacity of our soul, making it able to receive what is to be given to us. I want you to look at these three examples of something that enhances the moment of fulfillment on the other side of our waiting. Look at these three examples. First of all, fasting. You heard mercy just a second ago. Give a a glowing plug for fasting, uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting that are right around the corner. If you have not been, you should come. Here's why. Uh, this is a spiritual exercise that I guarantee you, you will hate and you will love at the same time. I hear Aaron, you're going to hear those words out of Pastor Aaron's mouth this season. I almost guarantee it. He has a love-hate relationship with fasting, as do most people. And it will also strengthen something inside of you. We'd love to have you a part of this uh, for your sake and for the sake of the house. When we do fast, when I fast for a meal, I kind of am aware of it. Uh, when I fast for a day, I'm ready to eat the next day. When I fast for a week, I salivate at the mention of food and anticipate my next meal with the, the desire of a starving animal. A few years ago, Nicole and I uh, took part in a sugar fast for the month of October. No natural or artificial sugars, which includes fruit. We couldn't eat fruit, which we love. And um, Nicole and I, um, we didn't do this for spiritual reasons. Otherwise, I wouldn't be telling you about it lest I lose my reward in heaven, all right? (laughs) We, We did this for health reasons and to maintain our mom and dad bod physiques okay um and we often look back on this month-long sugar fast and we talk about the moment that we ate a grape for the first time we ate it like an apple like a little nibble here and turn it around and a little nibble there And it was as if the world of viticulture had brought to me the world's most delicious grape and put it on a plate in front of me. It was amazingly delicious, as if all the receptors in my tongue took in every atom of delicious flavor that that grape had to offer. It was as if that was the most delicious grape in the world. Was it? No, probably not. It was a sprouts special that we had in our fridge. But you know what happened? Over the course of my waiting, my capacity to enjoy and delight in fruit was actually expanded, causing me to delight in this to a degree that I would not have known had I not waited. Do you see where we're going with this? Another timely example, consider Christmas presents. As I'm preparing for this message in my basement just uh, two weeks ago, I'm sitting in my office. I have French doors over here with glass to let in some natural sunlight. And my daughter Adassa comes bounding down the stairs, and she walks over to the Christmas tree, stops dead in her tracks, looks underneath the tree, turns back around, runs up to the foot of the stairs, and she's like, "Guess there's presents under the tree! And Garrison comes bounding down the stairs, and he throws himself on his belly, and he's just sitting at the base of the tree like this. Imagining what could be. The anticipation of opening those gifts. The way that he has to wait now, torture torturingly long weeks to discover what is happening in that package is actually enhancing the experience for my son and my daughter. Imagine the difference between waking our kids up in the middle of um, one slow summer break day and we had thrown up a tree while they were sleeping and wrapped some presents and put them under there and we said, hey, we want to show you guys something. Come open these presents. And They open them like, oh my gosh, thank you. I wasn't expecting this. And then they go on with their day We maybe play with their new thing. How different is it when you have to anticipate for weeks what could be in that package? And the moment of opening them is pure euphoria, As a youth worker myself and a parent, a word to fellow parents and youth workers, I discovered some interesting brain science recently that actually um, proves this point that Augustine made centuries ago. The brain science is this, that the adolescent brain, when the thought of an interesting activity or an adventure or even some shady shenanigans comes across their opportunity uh, in their life. There is an amount of, of endorphins and dopamine that is released into their body that actually oftentimes is more, more euphoric than the actual event itself. What that means is when our children... Uh, who are in the adolescent stage of development think about something exciting or anticipate an amazing moment or memory with friends. That will actually be more impressionable and uh, it will do more to their development than the actual event itself. It's as if what Augustine said was true, that their souls are being enlarged and stretched through anticipation. So I say, Like, thank goodness my wife has a value in wrapping presents and getting them out early. I say uh, to parents who are doing that and step-parents and grandparents and whoever, stay the course, mom and dad. There's actually spiritual formation happening when you make your kids wait for something. Whether it's a vacation or a present, is it annoying to parents? Heck yes, it is. But it's actually doing something in your child's soul right out of a page of Augustine's teaching. Finally, If you have your Bible, will you turn to Luke chapter 2, where we are going to look at the story of Jesus' birth. Luke chapter 2, verse 25, this is when Jesus and his parents are on their way to be presented at the temple. 2.25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Skip down to 36. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. Keep going here. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem full stop. Isn't it striking that in this narrative, both Simeon and Anna are clearly noted as people who have been persistent in waiting and in prayer and in fasting. And they are the ones that notice Jesus as a baby in the temple. It is as if their souls had become white hot with anticipation of the coming Messiah. And that waiting was enlarged and grew their souls and actually made them tuned in to the arrival of the Messiah. Note, they're not the only ones in the temple that day, but Luke notes that they were the ones that caught the Messiah, the ones who had been waiting in prayer and in fasting. Could it be that just like fasting... Like waiting and anticipating the unwrapping of Christmas presents, that our souls, like Augustine stated, are indeed becoming larger and increasing our capacity to not only experience the goodness of a first bite of food or the receipt of a gift, but in fact, we're increasing our capacity for any goodness God may choose to bestow on us over the course of our lives. I wonder if this isn't a picture of the end of time where we've experienced the beauty of life in God's great creation, but we've also experienced the devastating effects of sin and brokenness over the course of our lives, much of which scars us permanently. And we're waiting for removal of perhaps the active wound that is still bleeding or perhaps the removal of scar tissue. And in this waiting, in this longing, are our souls not becoming white-hot to receive the fullness of Jesus and His restoration? The end of our waiting. I wonder if the way that I delighted in the taste of food after an extended fast could also be a foreshadow of the way that I will not only delight in the return of Jesus, but I also wonder if it also is foreshadowing of the way that we quickly will forget the pain and suffering that we had to endure over the course of our lives. Do you notice how after you stop a fast, what, 10 minutes previous to that seem like you're about to die? You engage in the food and you think, life is beautiful. When I think like this, I receive a shot right into my bloodstream, and in the fluid that's going into my veins is gritty perseverance, and it pushes back the desire for self-medication or a desire to escape or distract myself from the pain of my circumstances. When I consider what is waiting ahead for me, just because we're waiting, I do need to say this, just because we're waiting, and oftentimes waiting for good things, it doesn't mean that we're going to see the fulfillment of it in our lifetime. This is a painful reality and an honest assessment, isn't it? As followers of Jesus, this is where, you know, waiting is one side of the coin and right on the other side is hope. Waiting and hope are two sides of the same coin. As Tim Mackey from the Bible Project says, God's past faithfulness motivates our hope for the future. You see, one day, we will see the fulfillment of all of our longings when Jesus returns and makes all things new. I wonder, could we get a little Bible nerdy for just a second? This is how we do it at most of these students. Yes, I'm tracking. Bible nerd is like, slide the glasses right up the nose. Yes, I'm tracking. Okay. Bible nerds ready for this. When we read the Bible in the book of Psalms specifically and we come across the word wait, did you know the original language is Hebrew and there are nine different words used to describe our one English word, wait. The author author would pick and choose different words that match the appropriate situation. The most common word in Hebrew to describe the most common occurrence in Hebrew is a word called kava everybody say kava now say it like this kava rock on you got it good kava is this it describes this this combination of tension and enduring and you get a word picture of two things that have become intertwined together, and then there is pressure applied, and that's how they stick together. Are you tracking with this? Two things become intertwined, and that's what kava means. So if we look at Psalm 27 and it says, uh, Psalm 27 14, wait for the Lord, or kava for the Lord. Be strong and take heart, and kava for the Lord. Do you know that we probably don't need to be strong and take heart when we're sipping on a pina colada at poolside? Why do you need to be strong and take heart when you're enduring challenge? When there is a bit of suffering in my current circumstances. This is how I think about Kava. On one hand, the one piece of this rope that is together is my current circumstances. And it has become intertwined with the hope of the future and what I am waiting for. Kava, be strong and take heart. Consider what you got, the junk that's going on in your life right now and consider the end. And when those two things are intertwined, that is a picture of biblical waiting, my friends. One of the oldest Christmas songs in history is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I appreciate this song because its melody is almost melancholic, isn't it? Seemingly taking the painful realities of this present world, the pain of waiting, and it puts it into music form. And then the lyrics point to the return of the king. Rejoice! Rejoice! Emmanuel shall come. The one that we're hoping for, the Messiah, is going to come, shall come to thee, O Israel. We're going to sing this today. Why don't you just stay where you're at. Put yourself in a Half posture of like Christmas song, but half posture worship. Callie's going to lead us in a second. I'd encourage you to sing with her. And I want you to reflect on both positions. Reflect on the painful moments, the things that we are waiting for. Whether this be healing from an ailment that is plaguing us. the host of many other things. And on the other side, I want to encourage you to think about the way that we're waiting for the day when God will come and make all things well. This is like Kavah in action as we sing. So let's sing this together.
1: to. Dispel the shadows of the night and turn our darkness into light. Sing rejoice. Rejoice one more time. Rejoice, rejoice! Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel.
0: Can you feel the tension? of the melody and the lyrics there. Longing, enduring, waiting, hoping, kava. Emmanuel shall come. God with us will be with us. Let that be so. Waiting and hoping are inseparable in the Christian story. As we close this morning, I invite you to consider something. Instead of asking, what if I don't actually receive what I deeply desire? I want to ask you, what if you fulfill your deepest desire and it doesn't satisfy you? If you're longing for something today, why not consider hoping in something beyond yourself? Why not consider putting Jesus at the top of the focus of your waiting? I know this can feel precarious to some. If you're not familiar with church or the faith thing in general, this can feel precarious. Maybe about as precarious As a pregnant teenager, claiming virginity with her faithful fiance in tow, giving birth to a child in an animal shed under a cloud of controversy, that too is precarious, isn't it? But the way that God looked after Joseph and Mary and Jesus in that precarious moment is the same way that he will look after you if you're willing to take a step and cross the line of faith. Some of you might be ready to make that decision today. What that means is you're now gonna live your life in pursuit of Jesus in his way of life. If that's you, right now under your breath, you can say, Jesus, I give you my life. And this will begin your journey of faith. For others of us, this is another week to engage where God is leading us as a church. In the uncomfortable space of waiting, knowing that God is indeed at work, expanding the capacity of our souls. May we stick with it as we engage this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your willingness to separate yourself from your Son for a season was so generous. Marcus said it in our prayer this morning before these gatherings today. You did not have to come, Jesus. You didn't have to do it, and yet you did it anyways. And Lord Jesus, we cannot wait for the day when you will come again and make all things new. We cannot wait till you remove every tear, every bit of wounding. Every painful part of our story. We cannot wait till you satisfy every longing inside of us. And we say with faith this morning, will you help us wait appropriately? Will you give us courage to endure? Will you give us steadfastness to not withdraw from difficult circumstances in search of relief? Will you help us receive all that you have for us in the waiting? And God, for my friends who I haven't met yet, who perhaps just said yes to you for the first time. Thank you, God, that you're at work in their spirit right now, renewing them, making them new. We celebrate that and we thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.